welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to find them. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. As you do, I'll just say this about the fall retreat. Um, if, if perchance you thought to yourself, I would go, but I'm not sure I can afford to go this year, um, please don't let that stop you from going. We've had, uh, there are always generous people in our church who are willing to help people get to the retreat. And so if that's you, um, please don't let that stop you, okay? So uh, register, talk to somebody, uh, myself, or email fallretreat at awakenwest7th.com, and we'll go from there. Sound good? Okay, good. Um, okay, so last week we started a new series. Uh, it was called Mastering the Art of Living, and the uh, its inception really is John 10.10. 10. So Jesus is talking, and he says, I have come so that you may have life and life to the full. One translation says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. So Jesus and John, uh, their claim is that Jesus' way of living, his way of being human, is the best possible way of being human. Uh, I've come that you might have life to the full, the best possible kind of life as a human being on the planet. So either Jesus and John are right in the way of Jesus is the best possible way, or he's a liar. And, that, and that's not true. And the way of Jesus and his example and his life and the way he conducted himself is in fact not the best possible way to live. You can't have it both ways. Um, but if in fact it's true, and a church, a group of people gathered in the name of Jesus, uh, are gathered in the name of Jesus, then it would make sense that that group of people is learning and growing and uh, uh, increasing in their capacity to be masters in what it means to live the human life. That when people come in contact with us as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, that we would be the most generous, the most kind, the most compassionate, living the most inspiring and compelling kinds of lives because we follow the guy who says, I've come to give life and life to the full. Tracking? So, that's the series. What would it look like for a church to sort of lean into that and say, how do we grow? How do we become masters at this thing called life? Um, so, we talked last week about clarity around, like, what's the purpose of the church? If this group of people is gathered in Jesus' name, what's the purpose? And then over the next couple weeks, rhythms. What are some rhythms that would help us sort of move in that direction? So last week we talked about partnership and what it means to be partners with God in the work of redemption, in the work of restoration, in the work of redeeming all things. That's what Jesus is up to. Uh, that's, at least that's what he says. So we've been invited to be partners in that. And then this week, we're going to begin the first of three rhythms that we want to sort of center our life around as a community. So it's fall, it's October, it's hunting season. If any hunters out there, they say if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. I'm guessing there aren't a lot of hunters at Awaken, but, you know, be that as it may, it's, it's still true. If you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. So what would we focus on if we were going to focus on a couple of things? So these are these rhythms that we're going to talk about. So today... We're going to explore one of them from Hebrews chapter 10. If you can, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we'll read from the text, and then we'll dive in. Starting in verse 19, the author of Hebrews, whoever they were, says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened, through us, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Pray with me. God, this morning as we open our hearts to the degree that we can and this Bible, this book, um, first and foremost, thank you for it. Uh, it's of great value to us as your people who are trying to live as followers of Jesus in the world. And so insofar as you've inspired it and breathed your life into it and reveal yourself to us through it, do that today. Um, from this old letter to this church somewhere in the ancient world, give us something fresh and alive and um, compelling so that we can center our lives around it, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So the book of Hebrews is a giant and very dense theological book. There's a lot in here that we could unpack over the course of the next month, but we're going to just spend one week on one idea. Um, to get there, the, the author of Hebrews is, is encouraging the people of God to do and act certain ways in the world because of something that's happened. He begins this section, therefore, right? Well, what's he said before what he's about to say, because that's why therefore is there. So, He's just talked about the, the life and the death and the resurrection of this Jesus and the fact that that has happened, therefore, these things, right? So he says, you can then approach God with confidence. We have this high priest named Jesus. In the Old Testament, there was one high priest who was a representative for the people to the divine and from the divine to the people. So Jesus has taken that person's place, according to the author of Hebrews, and now we have this new high priest who is our representative to the divine. So you can draw near to God with sincere hearts and full assurance in faith. He says, don't, uh, uh, don't uh, or spur one another on to love and good deeds. And all of this is connected to this little phrase at the end that seems like a throwaway, but is actually quite important. He says, don't forget or don't stop meeting together. Don't give up the habit of meeting together. So some among them, according to this, Amidst all that was happening in the world, and, and this newly constituted people of God, used to be Israel, is now in Jesus, uh, had given up the habit of gathering together regularly. And the author of Hebrews is like, don't do that. that this is huge. This is massive. This is really important. Now, this was 2,000 years ago or so, and the ways in which the church gathered then and the things that they did then maybe have changed a little bit now, and the things that we do now maybe aren't exactly what they did then, but there is a lot of crossover in terms of what the church has been doing throughout history when it gathers. So I want to explore that this morning. Why do we gather? Why are you here? This is an all-play question, actually. I'd love for, to hear some of your responses. So shout them out. Like, why are you here this morning? What are some of the reasons or what's some of the motivation for you being in a gathering of God's people or at church this morning? Shout them out. Why are you here? To learn. To learn. Okay. Community. I'll do my best, by the way. Community. What else? Worship. Coffee. Yes. Somebody said that first hour, and I thought they said Cosby. I was like, no, I don't think that can't be right. Just cannot be right. Coffee. Yes, I affirm that. What else? Encouragement. Teaching. Resetting. I like that. I heard one over here. Like believe. Yeah. With community. Uh, with people who believe. Yes. What else? Truth. Hopefully. Rest, yeah, okay. Praise, yep, for sure. I had a, um, I'm about to say a few things, and one of the things I won't say explicitly is to worship, 
Um, that's a, an assumption that I make that I begin with, and it's buried in here, but I'm not going to say that literally, so if you have qualms with me after the teaching, you can know that someone has already brought that up, okay? Um, why do we gather? Like, why is the church gathered in this place? What is the purpose of this? I want to offer just a couple of thoughts as I've reflected on why is it important that we do this. Um, it's not institutional viability. Like, that's not the primary reason the church gathers, right, to perpetuate itself. Sometimes it feels that way. It's not, it's not for a lot of reasons, but, like, why is it important? Why does the author of Hebrews say, therefore, you can do all these things because of Christ, and don't forget, don't give up the habit of gathering together on a somewhat regular basis. Why? What's important? So, four thoughts I want to offer to you this morning. First, first is this. Because sometimes we feel like it, and sometimes we don't. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you have tasted, touched, sensed, felt, uh, come close to the divine? Where you've had something happen to you, and it just, you've had an encounter, uh, an experience, and something wells up inside of you where you're like, yes! It's like a bass note in the universe rung, and it caught you, and it just rumbles your inside, and there's something that's true about that experience in that moment, and you just have to, like, say something about it, right? Th these are the psalms. These are the songs that we sing when something happens, when we've tasted, touched, sensed, felt, experienced the divine, and we gather. It's an expression of all those things and the yeses to the bass notes in the universe that we just know are true, are true, are true. One of my friends says that I know that I know that I know. You know those moments? And sometimes when we gather, it's because we've got something to say. Because we've sensed, we've felt, we've experienced, we've heard, we've, we've seen God. And so maybe it's in a sunset, or maybe it's in a river, or maybe it's in the face of a newborn child, or maybe it's in a, a moment of silence, or maybe it's while you're in traffic, or maybe it's in your neighbor, or maybe it's in something, but you've sensed that. And so when we gather, this collection of experiences to say yes to the divine is expressed Sometimes we feel like it. Sometimes we have a song to sing. Sometimes we don't. Amen? Sometimes cancer finds you. Or you lose a job. Or a relationship just explodes. Or you meet the buzzsaw of a disrespectful teenager, hypothetically speaking. Or your neighbor is just racist. And you don't or maybe you've lost someone close to you long before it was ever uh, appropriate, you thought would happen. And what you don't have is hope. And what you don't have is a song to sing. And what you don't have is any light inside that you'd like to offer to anyone else. In fact, it's quite dark. Why do we gather? Because sometimes we don't feel like it. And as we come and as we hear these words that we step into a river that is not new but has been streaming and running and carving through history for thousands of years and as we enter these practices and these habits which sometimes can be boring and lifeless but at their best they remind us when we don't feel like it we hear the songs of the people who have been faithfully following this Jesus for centuries declaring what's true about God even though we might not feel it in this moment and so we need those songs. We need those liturgies. We need those prayers. We need those moments of silence because we don't feel it. And so we come in hopes that we will. Sometimes we gather because we feel like it. Sometimes we gather because we don't, but we would like to again. And so we come. 
trusting that there's something true about this experience and this declaration. So sometimes it's that. Sometimes we gather to bear witness. Can I get a witness? Sometimes we gather to bear witness. And what I mean by that is like someone testifies to something that's true. Like we put them up on the stand and we say, is this true or not? And they say, yes, that's true. They bear witness to it. There's this process in human development called differentiation. If you haven't tried it, I strongly recommend it. That's a total joke. Come on, guys. No, seriously, differentiation, it's this process by which um, humans differentiate themselves from another. So we see this in, in young babies. When a, a baby is born, uh, there's this process by which a baby will differentiate itself from mom. And they recognize that they are actually other than, that mom is over here and I am here, and that my existence actually keeps going over time and space. There's all kinds of science and study around this. It's called differentiation. The highest degree of that for humans is when we can refer to ourselves in third person. Essentially, when I can understand and, and see myself through your eyes, right? When um, it, it, the idea that I can understand how you perceive me and experience me. One could argue this is one of the more sophisticated and nuanced mature uh, phases in human development. And it's this abil the ability to understand and see how you're perceived and experienced, which is only possible with another human being present. Bearing witness to your presence and your existence. Now stick with me here. I need you because only in you are, am I reflected back to me, right? When a tree falls in, in the forest and nobody's there, does it make a sound? We're talking about the same idea. I need you and you need me because we reflect back to, you reflect back to me who I am. And as I understand and perceive how you experience me, I know and understand myself. So one of the highest forms of, of cognition and, and knowing as a human is predicated on the fact that you are here, bearing witness to me. If I'm here in isolation, I, don't, I can't know me like I know me because of you. We need each other to know who we are. If you were to translate this to the spiritual life, I would argue that one of the reasons we gather is to bear witness, to testify, to reflect back our journeys and our experiences and our significant moments along the way. Think about the things the church does when it gathers. It baptizes and it dedicates babies. We as a community bear witness to a mom and a dad or a, a group of uh, two people, hopefully, who are uh, loving a child and saying yes to what's happening up here, dedicating and baptizing these infants or the, and these babies. When, uh, when a believer is baptized, when an adult is baptized, this community... Stands and listens, one of my favorite days uh, of the last couple years was the last Sunday before I left for sabbatical. If any of you were here, a guy named John stood right here up on this platform in a giant galvanized horse trough, and he testified to his experience, which was as an adult, atheist, agnostic, a non-believer, who had come to the end of his efforts, rope, whatever you want to call it, and said, I'm going to step out in faith and try this believing and how his life has changed and been transformed by faith. And he stands there and testifies to that, and you all bore witness to it. That declaration means not nothing, but it is far less significant if you all aren't here. When someone passes from life to death, the gathered community bears witness to someone's pain 
and their story and their life and their existence and their investment and who they were and their impact. In Judaism, it's called sitting shiva. You just sit. You don't have to say anything. You just bear witness to another person. When we gather, this is what's happening in some way, shape, and form. Why does this matter? So I was in Colorado on the sabbatical. I ended there, and I, this is the best fish story of my, one of the best fish stories of my whole life. So I'm, I'm fishing in Colorado, the frying pan river. I'm fishing this hole, and I hook a fish. It's just a little guy, you know, about this big. And out from underneath a rock comes Moby Dick. Like, I'm not even kidding you. It was a tank. It was a whale. This giant, no kidding, right? I'm talking like this big, a massive rainbow trout. It was actually a cutthroat, which is even more bizarre because... Anyways, he comes out, and he just starts chomping at the fish that I've hooked. This, this really happens, you guys. He starts whacking at this fish, and it's like the, the, the water's beaten up into a froth by this thing. He's angry, and he knocks off the fish that I've hooked. And I'm literally just like, wow. So I keep fishing. I hook another fish, little guy, and sure as the day is long, Moby Dick comes out to play again. He comes out from under this rock, and this time he just hammers this fish. He's got a T-bone right in his jaws and will not let go. You know, it's like, dude, all you have to do is let go. Doesn't do it. I fight both fish. I net both fish. I'm standing there. I'm like, I'm like Jesus. Water to wine, two fish for one. You know, 5,000 people feeding them all. I'm standing there, and I literally say, did anyone just see that? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like dumbstruck. You all probably don't believe me because you weren't there. I have proof. I have the fish. I have a picture. Somebody was like, that actually didn't happen. I'm like, no, it did. Here's my point. If one of you had been there, or if my brother had been there, somebody had been there, there would be an instantaneous bond between the two of us. Why? Because we saw, we testify, we bear, you would bear witness to my experience, and we therefore have a collective memory around an event that happened. Jesus' longest prayer in John 17 is that they might be one. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, says, I pray that you, the church, will be one heart and mind. Is it possible... That our bearing witness to one another is answering the prayers of Jesus and Paul. Because as we bear witness to, we have a collective memory of experiences that have happened in our community. If you had been on the fall retreat two years ago, you would know that two people met there, Trevor and Jesse, for the first time. And then they fell in love, and then they got married on this stage. And now they're, that's your youth pastor. We bore witness to that as a community. When Jenna preached and she shared about her eye and losing vision in one of her eyes and how hard that journey has been, we as a community held that experience together and bore witness to her pain and struggle and her faith in the midst of that. When my mom, Claudette Witham, at the joke joint, gave us the gift, like never thought of herself as an artist, but in this process learned what she does is very artistic and very creative and came and testified to the fact that for the first time in her life at 60 plus years old, she was realizing that she's an artist. And we bore witness to that, and it was a gift. When we gather, we get to do that for each other. I get to reflect back to you and say, that happened, that was real, and we can remember together. So when we gather, sometimes we feel like it, sometimes we don't, we bear witness to the things that are happening in each other's lives and in our journeys, 
I would say we also gather, and when we do, we do something that we can only do together. Last week, we talked about this idea of the church as a partnership. It reinforces this us and we instead of I and me, which is rampant in our culture. Just watch the news or TV. So when we gather on Sundays, we move towards and we make primary something that we can only do together, which is about us and we. When I was in college, I had a friend named John, and I didn't have a car, so I would always ask John if, I could, if he would loan me his car to use when I needed it. And in the Dodge spirit that John had from Michigan, I was confronted and um, I was introduced to an experience in a voice I had never heard before called Rage Against the Machine. You guys know this band? If you don't, at your own risk, I would recommend checking it out. I was at uh, Spy House the other day with Dan, actually, our, our worship leader this morning, and there was a new drink they're selling called Sage Against the Machine. And we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, everything is wrong with that. Like everything, everything that they stood for in this drink and charging that much for a cup of coffee, they're just so far from each other. Rage Against the Machine was like the ultimate protest. They stood against and spoke words of, of prophet, prophecy, like they were a prophetic voice against power in institution and corrupt people who held positions of power in corrupt institutions. And they challenged those things and stood in protest of those things. One of my favorite songs has the F word 17 times. I mean... I didn't say that first hour, and I don't know why I just said it now, but it's true. It's totally true. I love that song. At any rate, these guys, they stood in protest. <laughs> I was one of those moments where words are coming out of your mouth, and you're like, but I stand by that song. If you can handle it, it is good. The point I'm making here is this. When the church gathers, it is a rage against the machine. What machine? The one of isolation and of individualism, and that's the one that says that you're better by yourself, and your accomplishments are, are the highest priority against everything else. When the church gathers, it says, no, that's not true. That doesn't lead to fulfillment. That doesn't lead to a better life. In fact, the opposite is true. Us and we, not I and me. So just by your presence, you're protesting an idea an ideology which is being offered to the masses by everything that is around us to say you and your will and your desire and your stuff at any cost. To gather as the church says, no, that is not true. Who would have thought rage against the machine? Not only that, you guys, listen to this. When we gather and we do this thing called singing, which we can only do together, Science actually will tell you that all kinds of cool things are happening. So when we sing together as a corporate body, oxytocin and serotonin are being released in our bodies. This is a bonding hormone. It's what happens between mom and baby at her breast. When that's happening, oxytocin and serotonin are being released in the body of both people, which is a bonding experience for those two. When humans have sex, oxytocin and serotonin, lots of it, which is why it's so fun, everybody. That's what's happening. So when you're singing as a corporate body, oxytocin and serotonin are being released, the same hormones that are happening in those two instances. Wow. So next time when you sing, just think, what's happening? And where this happens in other places in your life. It's binding us together. It's a bonding. It's like literally. And also, cortisol, which is a stress indicator, is relieved when people sing together. <laughs> it's not just because we did it last week. It's not just because it's habit. 
It's because literally these people who follow Jesus have been doing this for thousands of years. Why? Because it binds our hearts together as one. One uh, scholar and, and teacher in the music world in the UK, she literally says that when a group is singing together, each member feels musical vibrations in their body. They're using their, their breath and their larynx. And then you add rhythm and, and beat to that and poetry and you get a song. And when groups of people are doing that together, she says, we literally form one unified heartbeat. Our hearts, I'm not joking you, our hearts actually start beating together. And Paul says in Philippians 1, I pray that you would be one heart and mind. That the church who Jesus prays for would be one in spirit. How does that happen? It's in part when we sing, when we breathe together, our hearts actually sync up. <laughs> How cool is that? When you've been to a U2 concert and there's 50,000 people all singing the same words together and the bass is like pumping and you can feel it in your bones and you're like, something about this is true. I feel like I'm at a worship service. You are in some sense. Depends on what song you're singing. But a lot of those YouTube songs are actually saying something that's true. At any rate, good art always does that, by the way. So sometimes we, we gather because we feel like it. Sometimes we don't. We, we gather because we bear witness to significant life moments along the way. We gather because we can only do this when we're together. And lastly, I would say, we gather so that we don't forget. I don't know about you, but I can count... So many times when I have come to a new season or a new challenge or a new moment where you would think that what I have learned in the past about God's faithfulness and who God is and who the people who have committed themselves to me are and will be in that moment. And yet, I feel like I'm there for the first time all over again. And I'm wondering, God, will you be there? Will you, will you be faithful? And I forget, Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, only guard yourselves carefully so you won't forget the things you saw and let them slip from your mind for the rest of your life. Tell them to your children and your grandchildren. When we gather, our kids are hearing something that's critical and important about who God is. In fact, this morning, I was sitting right here. My, my youngest walked in the door, and I was like, good morning, Lyndon. Didn't even acknowledge me. Walks right over to Pastor Jenna and gives her a big hug. Like, that's why we gather. Because there are adults in my kid's life that aren't me and aren't Laura who love them and remind them of who they are and what their names are. That's why we gather. That's important. So we don't forget. John Cougar Mellencamp said it. I mean, if he said it, it's got to be true. <laughs> I cannot forget from where it is that I come from and I cannot, I cannot forget the people who love me. We forget things. Every January, I go to Chicago to this conference called Midwinter. Whoever decided it would be good to go to Chicago in January needs to be talked to. But either way, I go to this thing not because the conference is any good. The speakers are usually really bad, and the bands are terrible. I mean, really bad, you guys. Like, what happens here, I'm really proud of on a consistent basis. And sometimes I'm just like, ee. But I go. Why? Not for all the reasons you go to a conference. I go because I, so I don't forget. I don't forget the story and the tradition and the history of 133 years of Swedish pietists who came here and said, major on the majors, minor on the minors, wells, not fences. I go so that I don't forget who we are. I, don't forget, I, don't, I go so I don't forget who I am and what kind of pastor I want to be. We forget 
Why do we gather? To tell and retell this story that informs us who we are and whose we are. This story that says that God is good and full of life and light and beauty and that this God who created out of love everything that we know and have, that this story says that while we wander and when we wander, and we will, that this God is faithful and full to pursue us and offer life and a way home every time. This story that says that in Christ we have a hope and a future. This, so we don't forget what's most true about you and me and your neighbor and your cousin Vinny is that they bear the image of God. So we don't forget that. So that we don't forget that all is not lost and that in the end love wins and that this love has conquered death and is offered to any and all who want it. So that we don't forget those things are true. So that we don't forget that to pour out our lives in sacrificial love is actually to be connected to the engine of the universe. Why do we gather? Why are you here? Those are a couple of the reasons why I'm here and why I think it's important that the church gathers on a regular basis to be reminded of the stories that are true the base notes that ring all the way down to the core of who we are, that we are not alone, that love has won, and that it has conquered everything and anything that death and evil has to offer and says, where are you now? In resurrection, it stands and says, it's the ultimate mic drop. And then we are invited into that, that these are the stories that we center our lives around. And as we come to this table that we're reminded in Christ, a Eucharist, good gift has been given for the hope and the healing of the world. And that as we come back to this table, because we now can be and, and, and often are Eucharist for the world, that as we pour ourselves out in sacrifice and love, we come back to this table and we remember and we are remembered. Like the members of our body are pulled back together and we're centered and stand firmly in this truth that love wins, that it has won. And that it will win. And so we come to the table because sometimes we forget and we need to be reminded. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening community or on Twitter at awakening community. See you next time.